Well, hey, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Wonderful. We can give a clap. Thank you. We got one person who's like, yeah. <laughs> that was so weak. Can we just give a clap for the Lord? <laughs> Brother over there starting it real like, I'm Lutheran. I'm not doing that again. <laughs> uh, if you're new with us, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here and so glad to have you all. Um, before we get started, um, I wanted to talk about something that I think many of you are aware of. Uh, as you may have heard, Israel recently had a pretty uh, violent attack from Hamas. Um, if you're not familiar, Hamas, which is um, Palestinian-based, but it's radical Islam connected with that, launched roughly 3,000, some 3,000 rockets into Israel. Uh, several hundred people were killed, several thousand people injured. And now, as of this morning, uh, President Netanyahu um, has declared the nation at war. Now, here's why I bring this up. As Christians, there's all kinds of different ways that people approach this and how to feel about it. And, and for those of you who are really into end time stuff, prophetic stuff, uh, here's what I want you to hear, and I think it's important that we remember. There have been wars and earthquakes and famine since Jesus. And sometimes when things like this happen, our immediate response is to start digging into prophecy and figuring out what this fulfills. And, and he, here's what we know is Jesus makes it clear that Jesus one day will come back. And there will be wars and there will be these things. But when we put our focus on the war instead of Jesus, we've missed the point. And the Bible is very clear. We are called to pray for Israel. Israel is God's chosen people. And, and the most important thing we can do is pray right now and pray for them as a nation. And also understanding there's two sides of the conflict and that there's been things that have been done on both sides and there's a lot of hurt. And right now there are families that are grieving the loss of loved ones. And, and we need to pray for peacemakers to come in the midst of that time because Jesus might come back. Jesus could come back right now. Jesus could come back tomorrow. He could come back 100 years, 1,000 years from now. We don't know when Jesus is going to come back. And so our attention should be on Jesus, amen? It's not trying to figure out when he's going to return or how things fit. The most important thing we can do is do what God tells us to do, which is to pray. And so I want to read from Psalm 122. This is Psalm 122, uh, verse 6 through 9. It says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, Peace be within you for the sake of the house of the Lord our God. I will seek your prosperity. God is faithful even in times of war. God is faithful even in times where we don't understand. And so what we can do is we can pray first. Uh, we need to pray for them as a nation. We need to pray for President Netanyahu, for the Israeli army. But also, what does Jesus tell us to do for our enemies? To love our enemies. We need to pray that the Holy Spirit begins to work in the life of Hamas and that Jesus would make himself known. And ultimately, we can pray for peace in the Middle East and all that stuff. But what I want to see, I want to see them come to know Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Amen? And so uh, would you just join me as we pray? Because we want to honor God's word when it, and we take seriously that we're called to pray for this kind of stuff. So would you please join me in this prayer? Um, Father, we just lift up Israel to you, to the families who have lost loved ones because of horrific attacks, God. But Lord, we also pray for those in Palestine and the Gaza Strip. And um, Lord, all of this is fighting over land and it's been going on for thousands of years. And so Lord, I, we pray that you would send peacemakers into that midst. And Jesus, we do pray for your return. And as Christians, we can walk in security and hope knowing that one day you are going to come back. But until then, help us fix our eyes on you and make you the main thing, the priority. Lord, we pray that they would come to know you as a nation, that 
Israel would come to declare Jesus as king. You are the root of Jesse. And so, Lord, we thank you. And so now be with them, and Lord, we pray for those who are in positions of power and leadership in other nations who might be able to come in. Help us walk wisely in this so that we don't enter into more conflict than is necessary. In all of this, we trust you because you are good. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. On a little bit lighter note, um, so we actually have a, a couple members from our church who are going to be stepping into nationals in Hawaii who are representing uh, part of the national team. Nationals, right? Did I get that right? No, what's it called? Worlds. Worlds. Uh, they're doing they, it's Iron Man, which is, uh, that's crazy. But I wanted to pray for them. And so can I get the Tisdals and the Townsends to come up? We're just going to pray over them as they go. Come here. I told you I was praying for you. You get to come up. Come here. We're going to pray over them and pray a blessing on them as they go. And, and uh, here's the thing. They get an opportunity. Your spouses can come up too. Get up here. Come on. They're, they're hating me right now, but I don't even care. I don't even care. Uh, if I've got friends, if I can get some friends, we're just going to pray over them because they get an opportunity to be gospel witnesses for Jesus and what God is doing there. Dude, y'all are disappointing me. Get up here. Come on now. We're going to pray over them. Yeah, there we go. Father, thank you so much uh, for Carrie and Tiffany. As they go, uh, Lord, we pray your hand upon them and blessing. Lord, ultimately, anytime you're on a stage like this, they get an opportunity to show Jesus. And so we pray for opportunities, even in moments like this, God, that you would bless them and keep them and that their witness would shine greatly in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Thank you, guys. I told them I was going to pray for them. I don't think they believe me. Um, <laughs> that was so funny. <laughs> Seth and Troy are like, we're not going up there, no. Um, well, again, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're new with us this morning, I'm so glad you're here uh, who's ready to get into God's Word this morning? If you're ready, say, I'm ready. There we go. Okay. Uh, we're going to do things a little bit differently. We're actually going to read our Bible verse first, and then we base the prayer off of the Scripture, and it's found in 1 Thessalonians. So would you stand with me? We're going to read our Bible verse, and then we're going to pray using that Scripture as kind of a, a map, a guide. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 23. Read it with me. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. And now join me in this prayer for the Holy Spirit to move. Father, we praise you for you are good. Holy Spirit, help me to rejoice, to find my joy in Jesus throughout the day, to come to you with all of my needs in prayer, and to give thanks even in the hard times. I want to get out of your way, Holy Spirit, to take seriously and test the word you have for me today to hold on to what is good, and to reject the things in my life that dishonor you. Help me become more like Jesus in all areas of my life, in my spirit, soul, and body. Thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. The word of the Lord, praise be to God. You may be seated. Uh, we're in week two of our new series called Holy, Holy, uh, where we're discovering God's desire for you and I to become like Jesus in all areas of our life, not just some of them. And last week, we looked at a common misconception 
about spirituality that, that's actually found its roots in the time of Jesus in a, a philosophy and a religion in the ancient world called Gnosticism that started off with a thing called dualism. Unless you're a, a history geek like me, you probably don't care. Uh, but here's what happened is we found that this first century philosophy and theology has actually moved into our modern culture. And you may not realize it, but you might have fallen into the trap of believing this idea of spirituality that came from the Roman world. And, and here's why it's so appealing, is it sounds really biblical. It sounds biblical, but it's not. And, and so here's what the first part comes down to. It comes in, the first one is the trap of two categories. Let me explain what I mean by this. Category one, number one is you have spiritual things, things like prayer, Bible reading, going to church, and then unspiritual things, everything else. So yeah, that's the first trap, is we have two categories. There's spiritual and unspiritual. And that, the thing is, is that when you fall into this trap, what you tend to think is God only cares about the spiritual things and the everything else pile doesn't really matter. And here's why this happens or how this happens. And I'll tell you, I shared this last week. When you have conversations like this, I have these pretty frequently as a pastor. Uh, people come up to me and say, Jason, my job's not nearly as important as yours. Because you're in the business of saving souls. First of all, I don't save anybody, okay? I can point people to Jesus. Jesus saves. Can I get an amen? Right? Uh, but when people say, Jason, my job's not nearly as important as yours because you're saving souls. I'm just a fill in the blank. I'm just a doctor. I'm just a teacher. I'm just a business owner. I'm just a construction worker. I'm just a stay-at-home mom. As if somehow that my job is more spiritual than anyone else's because I'm in the church. Which then leads to another uh, a trap of music and art where now all of a sudden things become Christian versus secular. How many of you guys are familiar with this argument, right? If it's not Christian music, it's secular music and, and therefore good music must be from the church. Uh, I want to say thankfully there's finally some good music in the last 20 years coming out of the church, but for years... Church music actually wasn't nearly as good as anything else, but what we fell into is this idea was, if it came to the church, it must be good. If it's outside of the church, it's secular and therefore isn't good. And here's what the Bible tells us. Truth matters, not the source. Truth is truth. God is a God of truth, and there are secular artists, secular musicians, secular, who are actually preaching sometimes a more faithful message in their music than sometimes Christian artists are. And so we fall into this trap of that Christian, and, and I, I want you to hear this, okay? We don't need more Christian businessmen. We need businesses who are run by Christians. The minute you put Christian in front of something, you've fallen into that spiritual trap. It's, there's nothing wrong with the Christian school, but tell me that we don't need teachers who love Jesus in our public schools. And, and the same is true for doctors and everything else, right? And, and so and it's not that there's anything wrong with a Christian business. I, I love that, but... Our world needs people in that space who love Jesus. And so the secular versus Christian is one of these ways we've fallen into this duality. But the real sinister is around sin where we say things like this, it doesn't really matter what I do with my body because, well, hey, I pray. I got baptized as a baby. I love when I ask somebody if they're a Christian and they'll say, well, I got baptized Lutheran or Methodist or Presbyterian. And I'm like, I didn't ask if you got baptized. I asked, do you love Jesus? And so there's this idea that sometimes God doesn't care about your sin as long as you're praying or as long as you go to church or as long as you do these quote-unquote spiritual things. And the root of this problem actually comes from this. It's believing that the spiritual is inherently good 
and the physical is inherently bad. That's where this comes from. And again, it sounds biblical, it sounds spiritual, but it's not. And so what we like is the reason why this is so appealing for us as a culture is it allows us to break things down into nice, neat categories. How many of you like black and white categories? Come on, be honest. How many of you like to have piles that say good, bad? We all like that, right? And so here's what we do. This is the illustration we used last week. We'll do physical, emotional, mental, relational, spiritual. We'll break things up into categories, right? Spiritual. Okay, this is what we did last week. Everybody take out your hand, put it out like this. First finger, physical, emotional, mental, relational, financial, all spiritual. The Bible tells us that all of it is spiritual. All of it matters. Everything in your life that you do is spiritual and matters to God, and sometimes we don't think about that. And the reason, and we're going to get into why it's spiritual, but here's the thing, God cares about it all because he cares about all of your life, not just parts of it. There's no part of your life that God is not invested in. Did you catch that? There's no part of your life that God is disinterested in. He cares about it all, good, bad, and ugly. He cares about it all. Therefore, your work is spiritual. If you're a business owner, your work is spiritual. If if your mental health is spiritual, if you're struggling with depression, anxiety, that is a spiritual issue. Now, it's also a chemical issue. We're going to get into that over the next couple weeks. Your physical health is a spiritual issue. Relationships are spiritual. Finances are spiritual. And over the next couple weeks, we're going to be getting into another common misunderstanding. And I would argue that this morning, what we're going to be talking about starting today and over the next several weeks could be one of the most important conversations for our culture today, especially for our children and our children's children. And I want to prepare you. I'm going to step into some things that might cause some very um, emotional reactions on either side. One side was going to be like, yeah, you tell them, Jason. And the other side might be deeply offended or feel like I'm minimizing or oversimplifying a very complex issue. We're going to be stepping into some stuff that, quite frankly, is important. And as a church, we cannot avoid it. Now, if you're new with us, I want you to hear this. I don't do politics. I don't get into politics. We stay away from politics. We don't get into this stuff. And it's not because there's not a place for it, but there's so many differing views. But there are some things that in the political world and the cultural world around us that as a Christian and as a pastor and as a church, we cannot avoid, that we must actually talk about because the gospel has something to say about it. Does that make sense? And so for those of you, before you rush to judgment or on either side, I think we all need to agree on this, is that sometimes the Bible and the gospel calls us to hard things. Would you agree with that? And that if you're a Christian... If you're a follower of Jesus, God's word is your authority. If you're not a Christian, I don't expect you to agree with me on anything I'm about to say. But if you're a Christian, God's word is our authority. And here's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about the human soul. And over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about the body, the mind, the heart, and the relationships and how they connect to the soul. Now, you might be like, wait a second, Jason. I thought we already talked about the soul when you talked about the spirit. How many of you... But think that the soul and the spirit are the same thing, or have ever thought that. If you thought that, it's okay to raise your hand, right? I know for years I thought that. I thought the spirit and the soul were the same thing. But the Bible tells us they're different. And I want to show you what the difference between the human spirit and the human soul is and how they connect to our bodies, our minds, our hearts, and our relationships. Now, let's be clear. On the human spirit, the human spirit is not the Holy Spirit. 
okay? The human spirit is separate from the Holy Spirit. It's connected to the Spirit of God. The Bible tells us that God is spirit. But the human spirit is something distinct to us that is given to us by God. So what is the human spirit? First of all, the Bible tells us that the spirit comes from God and connects to us to God and the spiritual realm. How many of you have ever seen Stranger Things? Okay, now whether or not they knew it or not, they actually were stepping into a biblical truth. The idea behind Stranger Things is there's what's called the upside down. Biblically, we would say there is a spiritual realm or a realm, physical realm, and an unseen realm. And the Bible tells us that in the unseen realm, which is spiritual, it affects the physical realm. So that there are two realms that are play with each other, and we have to be careful not to assume it's just physical or just spiritual, but that the two come together. Now, what makes the human spirit separate is this. Animals do not have the spirit of God in them. Only human beings do. In fact, it's God's spirit in you that makes you an image bearer of God. Now, here's the part. This is found in Genesis chapter 2, verses 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now, I want you to look at what takes place here. God forms humanity, kind, from the dust. He forms and makes them into clay, and then what does he do? He breathes life. Without the breath of God in you, without God's spirit, not the Holy Spirit, but without spirit in you, your body is just a corpse. That's all it is. In fact, only humans have the spirit of God. Animals do not. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they spiritually died, which led to the decay of the body. So they were, before sin entered the world, it tells us that Adam and Eve had perfect relationship with God, but when sin entered in, there now began a fracture, a disease of the spirit, which then led to their physical bodies decaying. They didn't die instantly. Again, if you're familiar with the story of Adam and Eve, God says, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because if you do, you'll die. And people assume, well, they didn't die immediately. You're right, they didn't. What died was their spiritual connection to God, and therefore, as human beings, we have a spirit. All humans have what? Spirit, okay? Okay. Now, the reason why God cares about your body, your mind, your health, your job, your finances, and the reason why all those things are spiritual comes down to two things. First, again, God cares about you, and he cares about these things because he cares about you, but here's the thing. Your spiritual relationship with God is affected by your body, by your finances, by your relationships, by your mind. And you may not realize it, but this is why things like tithing, this is why things like taking care of yourself, when you don't actually deal with those things in the right way, they affect your relationship with God who has empowered your body with spirit. Does that make sense? That's why there's spiritual issues. So if you're not taking care of your body, it messes with your connection with God. Now, how is this different from the soul? Well, let's get into what the soul is. Everybody put your hand out again. Use the same illustration. You got physical, emotional, mental, relational, uh, financial, right? Now, if we were to take these things, everybody here is raising a hand, but is it one collective hand? No, you have different hands. We all have similar hands. What makes the soul is what is your hand attached to? A person. The soul is you. A soul is unique to you. All of us have similar experiences spiritually, but you alone have a soul. There's not another Holly Shoneman soul in the world. 
It's just that's who God created you to be. Your soul is unique to you. Your spirit, if you're a human being, you have God's spirit, but you do not share a soul with somebody else. This is why it's so funny when somebody says a soulmate. Well, the idea is, first of all, not biblical, let's be clear. But what they're talking about is this part of us that is unseen. Now, this is where we're going to get into some things that might make some of you uncomfortable, and I'm okay with that as long as you understand my heart. My heart is coming as a pastor because I love you. God loves you, and I want the best for our church, but also for the world. Amen? And so if you're ready, say, I'm ready. All right. You are either spiritually connected to God through Jesus or spiritually disconnected from God in the spiritual realm. Those are the only two options. You're spiritually connected through Jesus or spiritually disconnected from Jesus because of sin, brokenness, everything else. Your soul, however, isn't just connected to you, it is you. The soul is the innermost part of you. Now, theologian and spiritual formation ninja Dallas Willard uh, died several years ago, but this is what he had to say about the soul, and this is really important. He described the soul as containing the body, which is your physical experience, your physical self. He said it's the mind, that's your thoughts and feelings, images, judgments, inferences, sensations, and emotions, your heart, which in, in Western culture, we think of the heart as emotions, but that's not what it was in the ancient world. Your heart is your will and choices and decisions and your relationships. Your relationships are soul, they're personal, your marriage, your relationship to creation, to other people. All of these things together form the soul. The soul is connected to these. So think of it this way, okay, I got this stool here. Let's say this leg is physical. This is your body, okay? This is your mind. This is your heart. This is your relationship. The soul is what brings it all together. You guys tracking with that? You see the illustration there? Okay. The soul is what connects it all. So therefore, your body is not your soul, but your body is also part of your soul. And your soul, who is distinct to you, connects these things. Now, here's what happens, and I want you to think about this. What happens with one of these legs is out of whack? The whole thing is out of whack, isn't it? Your soul is out of whack. It also affects all the other legs of the stool, of your soul, so to speak. And, and here's why I believe this conversation is so important, particularly in our current cultural context and in our society today for our children more than ever. And, and here's, a, a, again, another common misunderstanding and trap about what, just like there's a trap around what is spiritual, there's a trap around the soul. And let me share with you what's happening in our culture today. See, another common lie a trap that has led into an epidemic within our culture around the soul is this. It is the belief that the human soul is the only part of you that matters and that your soul is perfect and beautiful and has no issues. And so the goal is to get in touch with your soul because that's the real you. That's what culture is telling us today. Here's how we know this, ready? It's as if the soul is the authentic you. Now I'm gonna share some things and if you've heard these, you're gonna be like, oh, I, I hear it now, ready? Here's how this plays itself out. I must be true to myself. What's the myself they're referring to? That inner part, the soul. How about, I'm just living my truth, as if truth is subjective. No, truth is truth apart from you, but here what they're saying is, is my soul determines truth, that inner part of me that you don't know, or I'm living my most authentic life or living true to my soul, but here's the one that really is tricky and quite frankly is becoming problematic. I just want my outside, my body, to reflect my inside, my soul. 
And this has brought so much confusion in our kids today in our culture. It's, we've got an entire generation who has been raised in a culture that has taught them to believe that the ultimate goal and right of every person is to live true to their authentic self at a soul level. That's what culture is telling us today. Here's the problem. Are you ready for it? Your soul is not perfect. Your soul is just as broken as your body is and your mind and your heart. Your soul needs Jesus just like every other part of you. And so this whole idea of that I want my, ins, my outside to match my inside is rooted in the idea that my soul is the true self and everything else doesn't matter, but your true self is living a lie. Your true self, at a soul level, all of us have been damaged by the world around us. And here's why. We live in a broken world and it's impossible. Let me, let me say that again. It's impossible for your soul, who you are as a person, to walk and live in this world and not be touched by it. No one walks away unscathed in this world. All of our lives have been broken. Our souls are not perfect or whole. They are wounded by the sin and pain done to us and the sins we've done ourselves. How many of you can remember the most painful word ever spoken over you? Did that impact you at a soul level? You know how many people I know whose souls are metaphorically bleeding and yet we live in a culture that says, no, the soul is all that matters. You just need to be true to your soul. If only, if only you were in touch with your soul. And, and, and here's, again, what I'm about to say next. I'm going to start off with something very soft, but then it's going to get into something really difficult. It's all coming from a place of love. And so before you get upset or before you make judgments, please hear my life or my heart. I want you to hear the heart and the hope of the gospel and what I'm about to share. Because of this push in our culture that your outer self must match your inner self, there is an assumption that the reason that your soul is hurting is because your outer life is out of sync. That's, the, that's what they're thinking. That's the thinking is that the reason why your soul hurts so much is because your body doesn't match your soul or because your feelings don't match your body or your heart. Thus, what is taught is this, in order to heal the pain of your inner life, of your soul, the only solution, the only option that we've been taught in the world is you have to change the outside, specifically your body. Then, only then can you feel whole, loved, and accepted. And I want you to think about some of the things that have led to this, okay? And it's, uh, when I was younger, I knew this girl. Uh, she was from Texas. She would come out to visit her family in California. And she would come during the summer, hang out for three months. So I hadn't seen her for like nine months. She comes back and I noticed she's got a tattoo on her arm. I'm like, oh, cool, tattoo. And we started having a conversation about it. And she goes, here's the thing, like, I really believe that my body, I, my body's a canvas and, and I want my, the tattoo helps the real me come out. And so I'm, I'm getting these tattoos in order so that the, the authentic me can come out. I'm like, okay, whatever. Now, again, I'm all like 19 years old. I'm like, cool, whatever. Another year goes by, she comes back. Now she's got tattoos all over. And here's the thing. At what point did her tattoos finally make her soul feel better? They never did. Why? Because she was trying to fix something at a soul level through the flesh, through her body. And there's no amount of tattoos that are going to heal the soul. There's no amount of modifying, no amount of piercings, no amount of things that you do there that can heal at a soul level. The only thing that can heal the soul is the one who created the soul. And you can do the things that are physical, emotional, 
relational, mental, we still have to take care of those things, but we do those to help us bring light to the soul. Soul is something that can only be transformed by Jesus, by the gospel and the Holy Spirit. Now let's look at another one, and I've shared this very openly. I've struggled with my weight since my 20s. In high school, I was a very lean, athletic kid. Got into my 20s, and here's what I discovered. I used to play basketball for six to seven hours a day. When I got a full-time job, I didn't play basketball anymore, but I was still eating like I was playing basketball for six to seven hours a day. And Jason got a little portly, to say the least. (laughs) And eventually, here's what took place, is that I got uncomfortable with my body. Anybody here have body image issues? Am I the only person, right? And it's male and female. It's not just women. Men have it too. And, And here's the thing. I've gone through periods where I've lost immense weight, and I felt good. My body felt good, but it didn't heal my soul. It didn't. Yes, physically I felt better, but there was still a part of me that was wounded in my soul, and and I thought, well, if I just lose weight, then my soul would be better. And guess what I did? I still went back to eating. Why? Because I was eating because I had a soul issue, not just because food was good. I was trying to compensate for something, and thus that began that yo-yo of gaining weight, losing weight, gaining weight, losing weight, right? How many of you know that cycle? And no amount of weight loss is going to make your soul better. It might make you feel better, but if you don't deal with the soul, you're going to keep on running because here's the thing, it's not just in our weight. Tony Robbins, uh, who is kind of a self-help guru, he actually said something very profound and wise, and I think I've shared it before. He actually said this, if you want to heal the man or the woman, heal the little boy or girl inside. That's the soul. It's that, that part of you that you don't see. If you really want to heal the man, it's, yes, you should, you should take care of your bodies. Yes, you should get mental help if, you've got, if you need counseling, get counseling. But if you really want to heal those things, you've got to start at a soul level. Now, whether or not he was talking about the Bible, I don't know. Again, this is where the problem lies, is that our culture has taught us that if I can just change, improve, fix modify the outer self to match my soul, then I'll feel better, I'll feel loved, I'll feel accepted, I'll feel whole, but you won't. And we're seeing this culturally, and, and here's where, again, I'm gonna get into something that I, I, I touch very carefully, but we can't avoid it, and we're gonna talk about gender politics this morning. Because now what has happened, and this is very controversial, and, and here's the thing, there are some of you in this room like, yeah, tackle this, Jason. And there are some of you who are like, oh, I can't believe you're talking about that. You know what? We need to approach this topic with love and compassion and let the Bible and the Holy Spirit bring truth to this conversation. And I realize that some of you here in this room, nothing I'm saying here comes from a place of malice. It comes purely because I love you and Jesus loves you and it is now becoming an issue in our culture now more than ever. For thousands of years, it was accepted that all living creatures were essentially what's called sexually dimorphic, which means they were either male or female. Now, what some will say is, well, that's not true. There are amoebas, and we know a crocodile that went from male to female, and and don't forget jellyfish. Okay, those are very simple-celled organisms, but most creatures, human, especially human, uh, they are sexually dimorphic, male or female. Now, again, let me be clear, this doesn't mean that there aren't those who struggle with sexual identity, gender identity, and and this is where we need compassion and love because we have a generation that is more confused now than ever. The number of kids who are struggling with mental health issues, with anxiety and depression, 
because we live in such an uncertain world where everything now is based about how I feel and not necessarily what is true. Now they don't know how to react in the world and this is causing all kinds of confusions and they're getting mixed messages from social media. In one sense, it's telling you, well, be true to who you are, but the problem is who you are is not true. The true you has believed a lie, just like my life has believed a lie. No one in this room truly understands who you are apart from Jesus. That is common to all human beings. We all have soul hurts, but when this moves into gender politics, what we're now telling people is the only way you can be healed is if the inside of you feels, and this is what I've heard, well, Jason, and I had this conversation, someone said, well, I'm, they were a, a, a young man, he said, I have a female soul. That doesn't seem to be what the Bible tells us. And so I have a female soul, so I have, to, my, I have a male body. My body's not matching my soul. Well, here's the thing. When you're trying to match something that's already broken, there's no amount of fixing that's going to change that. So how do we live with that? Well, we have to go back to Scripture. And again, if you're not a Christian, I understand why you might be like, I don't agree with this. That's okay. But I'll tell you from a scientific perspective and a sociological perspective and a psychological perspective, regardless of the Bible, this is still a pretty important conversation. You don't have to be a Christian to see the necessity of this. Genesis 1 tells us this, male and female, God created them both. Now, male and female refers to all species. Male and female, he created them both. But in Genesis 2, God does something different. He says, Adam and Eve, male and female, he created them, and then he made the man and the woman. Only humans can be man and woman. Gender. My cat, I have two male cats. They are not men. They are male cats. Only humans can be man or woman. Male and female. Now, that does not dismiss the fact that we don't have things that are, are again, there are times where the body is at odds with itself. Uh, how many of you have ever heard of, um, so we have psychologically a thing called gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria is where it is a mental condition, it's in the DSM-5. Uh, it's a mental condition in which the body doesn't feel it comfortable with the gender or sexuality. But there's also genetic things. You have intersex condition where I have a friend of mine who has Kleinfelter syndrome. Kleinfelter syndrome means he has two X's and a Y. And because of this, he's sterile and he had to take medication to produce the right amount of testosterone. We would agree that that's not how it's supposed to be. If it was, he wouldn't need medication to change his testosterone. So while these things exist, they exist because we live in a broken world, not because that's how they're supposed to be. And so as we look at this conversation, can we agree that all of this requires love and sensitivity? Would you agree with that? Now, let's continue to go back at this. Again, we're looking at God's standards. Sam Alberry who, uh, if I remember correctly, Sam Mulberry is same-sex attracted, is following Jesus with his sexuality and, and, and loves Jesus, wrote an incredible book called what, is God, what God Has to Say About Our Bodies. And I want you to know, I'm not speaking from the wisdom of Jason Miller. So I read a bunch of different books and a bunch of different topics on this conversation on the body and the soul because this isn't the wisdom of Jason coming, okay? I'm taking from men and women who are far smarter than I am, okay? Listen to what Sam Albury writes. Christian scriptures provide us with unique insight and clarity. It shows us that our biology, our body is meaningful. Our experience of growing up male or female is part of what makes us us. It also shows us that there are non-biological aspects to being men and women that are real and meaningful as well, though these are often misidentified both within the culture and within the church. Now listen to this next part. 
being embodied, meaning having a human body, is a fundamental part of what makes us human. You cannot fully be you without a body. You cannot fully be you without your body. Your body is a gift from God. It is a part of your calling, your way of being you includes your body and your sex. Now, sadly, our culture today has moved beyond just an opinion. Now there's an agenda in our culture that says that your body, your gender, your sexuality is, doesn't really matter. It's only the soul that matters. And so you should change your body to match your soul. But what do we do when we already learn that our soul is just as broken as our body is? How do we respond? So what does this lead to? It leads to this, you'd have to be true to your inner self. Now here's the thing, God created you, all humans in general the same way, all humans have this problem of sin and therefore all of our bodies are broken. Disease, sickness, injury, age, genetic defects and anomalies. Did you know how often I prayed to just be six inches taller? It's a true story. I had five, six and I was like, Lord, just like six foot, please. Didn't happen. Okay, 510. Let's uh, start bartering with God, right? I went through the five stages of grief with the Lord on my height. How about 58? 58. Can I get 58, Lord? 56. Now, here's the thing. I'm 48 years old. At what point did I get comfortable with the fact that I wasn't going to be 6 foot, 510, 58? I'm 56 and a half on a good day. <laughs> 217 pounds all of me right now. I had to be comfortable at a soul level with my body. That was a maturing of the soul when I realized this is the body I was given. Whether I like it or not, it is the body I have. And all of us in this room, I hate to tell you this, all of your bodies are not perfect. Some of you might have more ideal bodies than others, but all of our bodies are broken. All of our bodies are breaking. And, and this is why it matters. Did you know the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 uses this word four times to describe the human body this side of heaven? Are you ready for it? If you're ready, say I'm ready. Okay, here we go. He says it's perishable. Everybody say perishable. The word is phthartos, and here's what I like. There's a better translation of the word. Perishable is the right word, but there's a better translation, or I think maybe not better, a weightier translation. It can also be described as corruptible. Your body isn't just dying, it's breaking down. I was playing basketball with Scott Lester about eight, nine months ago, and I did a spin move, and I tore my calf muscle for no other the reason that I'm 48. That's the, now, to be fair, I was still beating him 12-4. But so you can say what you want about my identity, the fact that I had to throw that in. But hey, there we go. Why? Why did I? Why? What's happening? Because as you get older, your body is corruptible. Disease happens. Cancer happens. You're going to die unless Jesus comes back first. All of us, that is the train. We're all on the same train, same bus. Some of us may have a little bit more pain, a little bit less pain, but all of us are dealing with corruptible bodies. And, and nowhere does the Bible say that if you love Jesus, follow Jesus, worship Jesus, obey Jesus, do all the Jesus stuff, nowhere does God say that if you do that, your body's going to be perfectly fine. It doesn't say it. And yet, how many Christians do we know that they keep on chasing, if only my body could be X, Y, Z. Here's the thing. Even if I get to the healthiest point in my body, something else is going to come up. And so what does this mean? Well, your body, 
along with your mind, your heart, and your relationships are joined. They're held together again, connected by your soul. Your body, your heart, your mind, your relationships, all connected together by your soul. The danger with each part is when you elevate, when you think too little or too much of any one of them. Now, let me explain what I mean by this. If all you do is focus on the soul, it's just about my soul, it's only my soul, and you neglect your body, is that healthy? Is that what God wants for you? No. Because what happens if I put too much emphasis on my body? All the other things get out of whack, including my soul. How about the person who puts everything on mental health? Okay, got to do the mental health. Got to take the medications. Got to go to counseling. Got to go to these things. But if they don't take care of their body, it's only an amount of time before they come back. But if you don't take care of your soul, that part of you that connects to God, the part that connects to everything else, everything gets out of whack. And, and this is what happens to so many of us. And we make an assumption that all I need to do is if I just take care of my soul, everything else will fall in line. That's not how it works. All of it matters. And we have to be good stewards of all of it. But in the midst of that, we have to understand where ultimate healing comes from. If your body is breaking down, and I've had friends that have, people who love Jesus, who have battled cancer, and were able to say, I can still find joy in Jesus even though I'm dying of cancer. Why? Because at a soul level, God had done some miraculous healing. Jesus deals things at a soul level. What happens if you neglect your body if you don't take care of it? You quicken it to death. Now, some people are like, well, that's better because I just want to be with Jesus. Now, here's the thing. For those of you, when we deal with mental health issues, sometimes people need to know this. Your life matters right now, right here. Your physical being, your relationship, your heart, your mind, this matters right here. You are loved. You need to know how important that you are. Even in your brokenness, you are loved and wanted. We have an entire generation that isn't hearing that message. What they're hearing is you're incomplete. And if you just did this, everything would be better, and then they do it, and it's not. Or it feels better for a little bit, and that's it. Your body is not a neutral thing. Now again, let's speak to intersex condition and people who are struggling with gender dysphoria or not feeling connected. Here's what I want you to hear, and this is so important, is that if you're thinking that the way to fix that is to change this, you have to deal with it at a soul level. The soul is where healing comes. This is where we as a church have to come alongside of people in the LGBTQ community, people in the intersex community. We have to come alongside and let them know they're loved and wanted, but let's make sure we also speak truth in love, showing them that they're wanted. If you pay too much attention to the body, all of a sudden going to the gym, working out, honoring your sexuality, all these things, your gender, everything, you end up worshiping at the altar of the mirror. I had somebody who said, well, let's make sure we talk about this. This isn't just a clear lake thing. We live in, again, part of our culture now is age longevity. How long can we live as if the goal is to live as long as you can? And, and that'd be awesome, but eventually everybody's going to die. You can prolong death for a point. But what happens to the person who goes to the gym and, man, they'll spend hours and hours and hours working out, but they do nothing for their soul or they neglect their mental health at the expense or vice versa, they, they're so fixated on their relationships, but they let their bodies go to garbage. All of these things are connected because God cares about them all. How many of you are familiar with the story of Narcissus, the Greek myth Narcissus? Narcissus was a Greek god who fell in love with his own image. And it says, Narcissus one day came to a pool of water to drink. 
And as he looked in the pool of water, he saw his image and he was so in awe and love of his own image that this is what happened. Narcissus dared not disrupt the water, thus his image be distorted. And so he sat there and every time he went to go take a drink, he noticed that the image was, would get messed up and so he didn't drink and he ended up dying of thirst. Do you know how many people I know who are like narcissists, they're going to the gym, they're eating, doing all the things, but they're so enamored with the mirror or the lie of the mirror that they're literally dying of thirst. Those things, I'm not saying that health doesn't matter, it does. It absolutely matters. Your physical health, your gender, your sexuality, all these things matter to God, but they must be defined by God. I want to end with a couple of things that, some traps, and I want to come to, back to Sam Alsbury because he says something that's so incredibly important for us. He says this, we all have different experiences of sex and gender, and if you're a follower of Jesus, whatever our experience might seem to be telling us, we need to evaluate it in the light of what we see here in Scripture rather than trying to change, change Scripture to fit how we feel. The Bible does not present sex as a spectrum or a continuum along with which people are expected to be evenly spread. Listen to this next part. Therefore, we must not make our experience the arbiter of what is true about us. Our gender identity is not something we search for in our feelings, it is something we find in our bodies. If you wanna understand who you are, you have to come to grips with how God made you, even the parts that don't feel right, and you show gratitude. And he, then Sam Albury ends with this. Remember, this is a man who struggled with same-sex attraction. He identifies as a gay Christian, but he is celibate for the Lord. He's surrendered his sexuality to Jesus. He says this, to those whose biological reality is painful and confusing, Jesus gets it. He sees it. He expects this to be the case for some people in a broken and follow, fallen world. What is true about sexuality and our gender is also true for all aspects of our body. This isn't just about our bodies, it's about our sexuality and gender, it's about all aspects of our body. This is an important topic and I'm gonna invite the worship team up. I wanna share with you two quick traps that we fall into and then I wanna give you four ways that God gives us an escape route out of this. The first trap is this, which again, we've talked about a little bit. The problem with my soul is my body. So if I could just fix, heal, change, whatever it is, if I could just lose 20 pounds, then I'd feel better. If I just did this, I'd feel better. I'll be loved, whole, accepted, and wanted. If I just got this disease healed, if I just had this issue taken care of, if I was just a little bit taller, I wish I was a baller, I wish I, never mind, sorry. Some of you fall into trap number two. Now, if you got that joke, what, what? <laughs> Trap number two, it doesn't matter what I do with my body because my soul is all that matters, so I will do whatever it takes to be true to my soul. My body is connected to my soul. This is why God cares about my body, and what he wants is for you to trust God with your body. God will one day heal your body through the resurrection, but until then, we, we can't fix this body. We can remedy it. We can come to grips with it, but really, and here's what I felt like the Lord gave me a word, and then I want to share these last things with you. I created a new word. Um, I felt like the Lord said this to me. God wants you to mature more than anything. Maturing means we realize there are limitations to our bodies, that there are limitations to our mind and our emotions, and some of these things may not be healed this side of eternity but I can grow to become more like Christ in all of them. Now, here's the word I invented. You guys ready for this? Here we go. What if instead of chasing healing, 
God wants us to chase holy, becoming whole in him. Some of you are so, so desperate for healing that you're forgetting the goal is wholeness. And one day there will be healing. There will be ultimate healing in the resurrection through Jesus. No more tears, no more suffering, there will be no more mental illness, no more cancer. All of that will be gone. But until then, and that doesn't mean God doesn't heal. He does. But we cannot chase healing. We chase Jesus. We chase holing in the Lord. And this brings us to 1 Thessalonians because in maturity, when you now are mature in your body, in your faith, when you're mature in your mind, now you can rejoice always. You can literally pray continually. You can thank God in all circumstances, including for the brokenness in your body. You don't quench the spirit. You test what is good. You hold on to what is good. You reject evil. And then you let God do the sanctifying work in you to help you become whole, spirit, soul, and body, so that you can be blameless. Now, here are the four things. Would you stand with me? I want to give you four quick things. And when I say quick, I mean they're real quick. First is gratitude. You can thank God for your body, even the parts that you don't like. The fact that you have a body is a gift. Amen? Even the parts you don't like. I can thank God. God, thank you for my body. I wish it was five foot eight, but I've come to accept it, okay? I can still thank God and be thankful for the gift that I have because this means I have life. Two, surrender. Surrender your body to Christ. First Corinthians 6 says that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and it should be treated with honor and dignity. And that leads to the third, consecrate and honor your body. Say, Lord, my body I'm giving it to you. I want to honor you. Give me clean hands and a pure heart, God. And then lastly, do the soul work. If you're taking care of your body, if you're taking care of your mind, if you're taking care of your relationships, if you're taking care of your your heart, but you're not taking care of your soul, eventually it's going to get out of whack. Do the soul work. Do the formational work of allowing the Holy Spirit, God's Word, God's church, come and work in you. I believe God wants to do something. And so this morning, if there's something that's standing out, if there's an area in your life where maybe you've been chasing the wrong thing, maybe you need the Holy Spirit to speak life and truth into it, would you do me a favor? Just think about that for a moment. And if you need prayer, I want to invite you. Get prayer in the prayer corner over here. We're going to sing this last song and let it be an act of worship. And if you want to raise your hand as an act of surrender to the Lord, give it to God. Let us be a people who understand soul and body. And then over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about the mind. And in a few weeks after that, we're going to be talking about mental health and how, why God cares about that. And how do, we, how do we live in this? How do we deal with it when our souls are the things that need healing along with everything else in our lives? And so as we sing this last song, Let it be an act of surrender. And so if you want to raise your hand and give it to the Lord, if there's something that you need to confess to the Lord right now, maybe maybe there's an area of sin in your body or a lie you believed. If you want to confess that, just give it to the Lord. Join me in singing this.